Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up? This is Terrace Martin, and you listen to the LSQ Podcast. Thanks for pressing play on LSQ number 74. I'm your host, Jenny LSQ. I asked Terrace Martin what he thinks is the special sauce he brings to any collaboration to which he's invited to contribute. And he said, fill in the blanks, meaning that he's expert in any number of different things that an artist could require in the studio. And indeed he is. He's an incredibly talented musician, a multi-instrumentalist, best known as a sax player, but he can do the other stuff as well. And um, he's also a songwriter and producer and artist who recently, for instance, put out an awesome new album of his own called Drones. That came out near the end of last year, uh, around when we recorded this conversation. And and that album is going to get a deluxe edition in the coming months and also features collaborations from some of his long-time collaborators like Kendrick Lamar and Snoop Dogg and Kamasi Washington and Leon Bridges. With Washington, as well as along with Ninth Wonder and fellow LSQ guest from a couple of episodes ago, Robert Glasper, Martin is currently nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Progressive R&B Album. That's for their collaborative set Dinner Party Dessert, which followed the 2020 Dinner Party both worth finding and listening to ASAP if you're not familiar. Let's get into it. Terrace Martin on LSQ. What's going on, y'all? What's the word? It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Where in the world are you? Are you on the West Coast right now as well? I am on the West Coast. It's freezing to me on the West Coast, but it's 60 degrees. So I know that's probably not freezing nobody else. I want to start by asking when you first remember like feeling a creative urge of any kind. My first time, I, I actually do remember, it was uh, watching my cousin named Lloyd Brown. Um, my mom's from Bakersfield, California. That's like central California. That's like, it's literally the fucking country. It's just the country. Back then, it was a few with sidewalks here and there, roosters in the front yard, just, you know, some other stuff on the side of Bakersfield. But my cousin, when I was like five or six, you know, was a very popular DJ in the whole central California area. So I would always spend summers at his house while he was always like practicing LL Cool J Rock. Bells, Biz Markie, EPMD, all the classic hip-hop stuff. And when I saw him DJ, I said, that's what I want to do. I want to DJ. I want to rock parties. I want people to dance. I want to get on these turntables, these two Techno 1200s with this Gemini mixer. I want to rock parties. 
So at six, seven years old, he taught me how to DJ. So I was DJing all around the neighborhood, like 10, 11, 13 years old, like all through South Central, everything, you know? So that was my first time. Really de- and through DJing, I fell in love with hip hop at that young age too. I fell in love with hip hop. I wanted to know how did they make this music that goes onto these records, you know? And I grew up in a, in a, a very musical family, not, not a hip hop musical family, <laughs> but I was familiar with the term making records. But then when I started DJing young, I wanted to know how did the drums sound like that? How, how do you do that? And then, my same cousin started producing. He bought a Insonic. No, first he had a real TR-808 drum machine and a turntable. Then later on, he got an Insonic EPS 16 Plus, which is like an eight-track sequencer sampler keyboard. And by then, I just started doing beats at his house and then sampling drums, getting in the tribe called Quest, knowing what bass lines was. And then, you know, shit, I was off to the races. Then later on, I fell in love with the saxophone. So what did you, even that early on, kind of tell yourself like were the rules of DJ, like how to be a good DJ when you're a six year old you, what did you think was a good DJ at that age? Whatever he was, you know what I'm saying? Cause when you're that young, you got TV superheroes and you got real superheroes. So he was a superhero to me. However, he blended those, and he still is a superhero. However, he blended those records and, and just made the party never sit down. He just never made the party sit down, which I actually incorporate into my production, into my live set. Me and Robert, we like keeping the joke. We like keeping everybody up, up up like that's that kind of DJ we don't want I mean it's it's time to chill and it's cool to chill but I much rather make a motherfucker dance all day and smile you know what I'm saying so that's what I learned from him that's the one thing I took from him is how to make people dance and smile you know and that was the rules it wasn't really no technical that goes there blended right there whatever makes them get up and smile you play that record our job as artists is a service to the people we play that record you know, people spend their hard on money and time coming to this party, coming to this or, you know, like usually he was doing like a lot of like wedding receptions. I got a big ass family. So every weekend for 20 years, everybody was getting married and divorces and married again. You know, so he always was, you know, so we DJ, <laughs> we did it about four divorce parties. <laughs> it's a different playlist for a divorce party than a, than a wedding, right? Kill, 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 kill. No, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that if, if I could say any theory was the theory of making the attempt of making a human being feel good. That's the theory, you know. And there was something in it that was making you feel good as a kid. I can tell even from when you're talking about the gear and like knowing what the gear was that was being used that already then there was something about the different incarnations of a producer that, you know, is what you do now. And like, I've watched you talk about this in other interviews about like, you know, the different ways you can be a producer. Sometimes you're producing who's in the room and that's still a producer. But do you feel like in retrospect, even back then when you were checking out like what he was doing, that you were starting to tap into this producer brain of like, how do you, what are the ingredients and how can you recombine the ingredients in infinite ways? Well, in hip hop, the best producers are DJs because they've had years of experiencing the different frequencies, the different tempos, the intros, the outro. If this song's in this key, do you really want to blend that song in that key? Like that is being a producer just going back to the DJ, knowing how not to allow motherfuckers to sit down unless you want them to sit down. And I think that's a record producer. Everybody that's a record producer should spend some time DJing, because that's the truth. You play the wrong motherfucking record, I've seen people kick out speakers. I did a party years ago. It was off of Broadway. It was a house party. That's like deep, deep South Central. LA. And I thought I was cool. I was some R&B. All the guys was dancing with the girls. And then I played a record some gangster shit. Cause I thought everybody wanted some gangster shit. And all the gangsters came and kicked my speakers in and said, we dancing with our girls. So that's when I said, oh, 
I mean, it, it went a lot darker than that, but I'll keep it there. People get offended when you push the wrong frequency on them. That's bullying. That's yeah, bullying that's, po- that's power. That's power. And it, it's selfish to see everybody moving. And then I'm going I'm to break it up. Remember, I'm a service of the people. I'm a DJ. So all these early DJ lessons plays into my records today. Plays into my records today. You know, like growing up, I wish Snoop was growing up under Snoop and being with Snoop for so many years as a teenager. He would have four or five producers in one room doing beats at the same time with headphones on. If you could pull Snoop's attention from a Laker game, you got to hit record. You got to hit record. That's when I started knowing like, oh, let me leave my ego out the way. Let me just let me destroy that motherfucker. That ego will keep you depressed, broke, sad, lonely, smoking cheap weed, drinking horrible liquor. It'll just keep you messed up for a long time. You know, so I learned that through Snoop to remove the ego. But you're also an artist, right? So in there, I'm so curious when you're approaching the songs that you're working on for your own releases, like for drones, say, for instance, versus projects where it's any number of roles that you might play as a producer. Is there any difference in your head when you're thinking about a song, whether it's for you or for someone else? Is, are the goals the same in, in that situation? The goals for me are, are completely the same. To um, put a smile on somebody's face and to warm their heart. You know, to try to attempt, because everything is attempt. Try to attempt to give somebody some love through the music. The attempt of making somebody feel good. The, uh, making people stay up, you know, sneaking in messages through my music of love Love and lust as well. Lust is important like love. So sneaking all those messages all through the music. But it's the same concept. If somebody sits down or not interested, then I, I ain't do my job. I genuinely love making motherfuckers laugh. And I've been like that my whole, I'm the jokester. And high school, I was bagging on everybody. I made some people feel bad. If you're watching this, I'm sorry. But you know, the, hey, you know the game in high school. You know the game in high school. It's vicious. But I've always <laughs> been the jokester. And I've, all, I've only joked to make people feel good because I feel good. I want everybody to feel good. Even, even when I host parties, I have parties. I make sure everybody got their own joint. Everybody got their own drink. Everybody got their own. We ain't got to share shit. I got enough for everybody. I want everybody to feel like warm. I want everybody to, they don't even got to like me. I just want them to like the moment, you know? I mean, everybody's not going to like me. But, but when you when you started to, yeah, when you started to make your own music and it wasn't just about learning to play an instrument expertly, like was that was that an ingredient immediately as well? Like, tell me about some of your earliest experiences as as a songwriter. And also just how did that over because you you achieved like musical proficiency as a kid. Like it was when you went from doing the DJ thing to then picking up what was a piano first, right? For you? Piano and saxophone and really. I didn't listen to hip hop for three years just to really go into the piano and saxophone, like study really like eight hours a day scales. Like I really the same thing with DJing. I have a very addictive personality. That's why I can't fuck with certain shit. I got to only be around cool shit because I'll go to the deep end on whatever I go, whether it's dark or light. But I, I know that about myself. You know what I'm saying? So same with, with all this stuff, you know, same thing with the horn. I just like with the turntable. The turn, I took the turntable apart and put it back together because I want to know how it worked. Yeah, I just always went in. So when I start playing saxophone and practicing doing all that, I did the same thing. So I've always wrote songs without realizing it. Even when you play jazz, when you're soloing, my concept is let me try to write a song in the midst of my solo. Let me try to bring a melody that somebody can hold on to in the midst of my solo. Because even through soloing, I don't want to be selfish. And that's, let me tell you something. For most musicians that play instrument, that 95, that's a damn near impossible. 
You know, it took me a while to master the art of not being selfish musically on the saxophone because the saxophone is just you. But I had to realize I want to connect with people. I don't want to connect with 25, 27 or some high level artistic, boring motherfuckers talking all deep and shit. I want to connect with single moms, single fathers, people that's fucking contemplating suicide, people that's not doing. I want to connect with that. I don't really vibe too well with a lot of musicians because I don't talk about music all the fucking time. You know, way before I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a friend, I'm a good guy, I'm a fuck up at times. You know, all these different things before music. So it's like, I want my music to be a true testimony in my life. And I really want to connect with you through the music. So even while I'm playing solo, even if I'm doing a straight ahead acoustic quartet and we go into some John Coltrane shit, even through that, I'm trying to find something to connect with you. Just like Miles did and Train did and Herbie does. You know, I'm trying to connect with you on a level that you could feel good about. If I'm not connecting with the human being, why am I doing this? Talking about when you kind of began playing saxophone and getting really into it. And I mean, that was a serious phase for you, the like kicking ass at saxophone phase. I just remember spending hours on the saxophone. I remember at one point on the weekend, I would start practicing at 9 a.m. I would stop at about 9 p.m. I would stop here and there throughout the day for like five minutes, but rarely like three times. And then take an hour break, get dressed, go to the jam session at 11 p.m. And then there was another jam session at 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. in the Merc Park. So it, it would be time. It would be damn near 20 through 22 hours a day of just saxophone playing and just really learning tunes, learning the music, like really going in because jazz is not the music for my time. So I had to go back and listen to reissues and really fall in love with Dexter Gordon, fall in love with Sonny Stick, Cannibal You know, know why Quincy Jones is so important in Black music. Like I had to really go into the past. Hip-hop is of my time, so I'm living through hip-hop shit, but the jazz shit, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, you have you have collaborators who are like your regular collaborators. Uh, there are a lot of recurring collaborators in your catalog, but, you know, these people like Glasper or, you know, I want to talk about Snoop Dogg as well, who's a mentor, but who you've worked with perhaps more than any other artist in your career. Like, do you know immediately, mm-hmm. is there a vibe immediately where you're like, yeah, this person and me, we're going to make some stuff. It's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If we can hang, laugh and talk and talk shit, then I already know the music is going to be cool. Because if you really fuck with a real one, a real artist, a dope person that do music, their music is going to be a reflection of them. You know what I'm saying? If you full of shit, a funny style person, arrogant, ego, you think the world is created just for you, I probably won't fuck with you because my, my art isn't based on that. So Snoop has that in common. Robert has that in common. Kendrick Lamar has it. Everybody I work with usually has the human being thing. I don't want to say intact, but we're all attempting to be better humans. And I think that helps everything. Yeah. And so tell me a little more about Snoop and how you came to, yeah, how he came to sort of take you under his wing in a way early on, right? Yeah, I was 17 when I got with Snoop. I was 17. I got with Snoop through my brother, Marlon Williams. My brother, Marlon Williams, is like probably the most recorded guitarist in hip hop. Like from Dr. Dre to Snoop, from back then till yesterday, hit always a record on the charts. So I used to be like, man, if Snoop ever got a window open, I, I would love to give him beats and he'd be like you know what he got a window open but it ain't for beats so don't be giving no fucking beats he wants a horn section and he said get in first you know and i I tell young guys just get in first give the artist something that they can't resist give them a lot before you ask them listen to anything like give them give them everything please them and for years you know like about, about about a year i never said nothing about beats i just did my horn parts snoop records in and out but i always had a cd of beats in my back pocket and one day, he was playing beats. I didn't say nothing. 
He said, hey, because he, he, he heard I did beats. He said, hey, you got any beats on you? I'm like, uh, yeah, 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 I do. And it was a CD with 18 beats on it. He used all 18 of those records on some very classic West Coast mixtapes that came out around that time. That's how I got my name out in L.A. through Snoop Dogg mixtapes on the mixtape scene. All in the ghettos, Watts, Compton, Long Beach. This, this is pre, it's not pre-internet, but it's pre, it's pre people selling music on the internet. This is like, you still buying CDs, like, bottom line, it's that era where a motherfucker buys it, plays it, loves it, and I grew with people in L.A. for that. that that's why in L.A., I'm always good in L.A. because I, I put a lot of groundwork in, a lot of ground, a lot of uncomfortable groundwork in L.A. You know, I did with Snoop. I work with a lot of MCs. But on top of that, I'm from South Central, so I really fuck with that community. I fuck with South Central friends, gangsters, hustlers, pimps, players, prostitutes, you know, and everything. Like, these are all my, my village. I grew up around that to where I wanted my music to cater to those people. I wanted my music to be something they could enjoy. You must have been pretty blown away to have Snoop use that much. Like you give him the 18 beats, you probably thought he's leaving and you're hoping there's a couple of them you're hoping he listens to first or something because yeah. you're like, I, I know all 18 on there, but these are the ones I hope he likes. He uses all 18. I mean, how, yeah, how did that make you feel? And, and did it, it must have been humbling, but also right. I'm assuming it was a confidence boost that you're like, oh, my thing is good. What I'm doing is good. Let me go back in time a little bit at 13, 14. 14, I prayed on my knees. I prayed to work with Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Herbie Hancock. I never will forget the prayer. I prayed. So I was like, I tell Snoop and Dre, I, I was sent to him. I'm built to work. I'm built for him. You know, he was such a big influence on my personal life. And later on in life, as a father, as a son, he's helped me with so much personal shit. And we, we've been through a lot of shit together. Like, the thing about L.A., was different than where Rob grew up, where I grew up. Like, I didn't have the option to be really called like an artist or a child prodigy. It was like, boy, you in the hood. They, they trying to kill us. So if you play some music, you good. So I, I didn't grow up in the artsy environment. I grew up in a regular human environment. That's why even as an artist, I don't put myself on a pedestal. Like, we're humans. So Snoop is like that. Snoop, if you ever meet Snoop, hey, he gonna say, hey, what's up, little mama? What you smoking? And he gonna take your weed and give you the amazing weed. Like, you smoke this. And he gonna feed you and that's why you're doing And he's going to make you laugh. And introduce himself as Snoop Dogg, as if you don't know the most famous rapper in the fucking world. So that taught me, I can't have an ego. Snoop taught me how to navigate through high-level gangster shit, high-level corporate shit. You got to understand, Snoop, Snoop asked me for my 21st birthday, man, what you want, man? I said, I want to be Quincy Jones. He called him right there. That's why I work with Quincy Jones right now. You yeah, know, that's, like, that's that generosity, you know, because I was going to ask, yeah, of, of like lessons that you've learned from him. I guess I am curious about kind of musical lessons that you've learned from him as well. Well, those are all the same. All the human stuff is so tied into the music because if we, I mean, the music one is, the music is easy after you could get through the human shit. The music is the fun treat. The music is the reward of being able to hook up with somebody on an eye-to-eye human. It's like me and somebody and then smoking a joint. To even want to smoke the joint with somebody, you got to like that motherfucker. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, you know, but I'm, I'm intrigued too because I watched a, an interview you did where you talked about being an artist and about the difference between being like a lowercase a artist who may be having a moment where you're, you're going for it and you should because it's your moment, but you're not necessarily 
a lifer where you're going to just be up for doing the difficult part of being an artist for like, you know, for the rest of your life. Like you have no choice about it because you are one. And I get what you're saying about being humble and not trying to be like on some pedestal of whatever is the academic version of an artist or something that feels elitist and shitty, but you do identify in this sort of basic way as like, you can't help it. You're an artist, right? Well, I'm proud to say I'm, I, I am an artist. I'm an artist because I feel like, first of all, I love the good and I love the bad that come with this shit. I love the good and the bad. You know, I, I didn't lost houses, been evicted, had nothing, had to go back to my mama's couch in the midst of having hit records on the radio. You know, I mean, I do hip hop and pop and R&B records, but I still, my urge is always to go to New York and play at Smalls for nothing. That's the only confirmation I know I'm an artist because I can't stop it. You know, somebody said, why you be playing jazz gigs? And you don't, it ain't no money. I say, because I can't stop. This is something you do because you love it. I can't stop. Hip hop, I love it too. I definitely do bigger records. 50% art, 50%, you know, I, I'm a homeowner. I take care of a lot of things. And the reason why I don't give a fuck about pedestals because pedestals always get loose after a couple of years and they fall over. And you fall over with the motherfuckers. Nobody stays hot forever. You know, nobody stays hot forever. And uh, Snoop told me that though. Snoop told me that. Nobody stays the motherfucker forever. Nobody. So just know you could be hot. You could go down. He said, you want to coast through this game. You want to just coast. You want to coast. Because it's going to be peaks. It's going to be, it's going to be peaks. It's going to be valleys. But you want to love the whole journey. I love the whole journey. I, I'm not bitter. I don't complain about shit. I, I never said, why is that person doing that? I'm not doing that. I don't give a fuck about what nobody else is doing but me. I'm doing this. I'm happy doing this. You do your thing. I see you at the crossroads, baby. What tends to be where a song starts for you? What's the first, does it change every time or is there a, does the inspiration, the musical inspiration tend to start in the same place? Is it the beat? Is it a melody? Every time is different. Every time. Can you, can you feel it coming? Is it like, can you feel a song coming to you? Oh yeah. Oh no, no. I, I, well, in, in my age now at, at 42, I'm not the young gun I used to be in my twenties. So before I go do a session with artists, I kind of got to get prepared in my head. So I remember I wrote and produced a song for this artist named Leon Bridges called Sweeter. It came out last year. Very, very positive song. And I remember Leon Bridges one of my favorite people, but I never really worked with him hands on. So I remember being in my shower that morning saying, okay, Terrence, don't be going on no artsy ass. Let's see where it falls. Don't do that because we don't got time for that. We have, and, and you have a six-hour session and you have to go with Kendrick and spot right after that. So you got to prepare for two sessions. You, sometimes you can't go in with the, I'll just see what it, what happens. Oh, I mean, you can, but I'm going to keep it real. When you're doing high-level records and they looking at you for a motherfucking hit or a song that's going to create real estate and millions for a company, you can't do the jazz nonchalant shit. Oh, it's the art. The art is going to whittle down and, and it's going to just create, oh, the colors are going to paint. No, I got to have seven ideas in my head. Hopefully it's a motherfucker like one. Hopefully like one. So I always start off with a guy like Leon. I say, okay, he's a singer. He writes fucking melodies. So let me stay the fuck away from the melody. Let me write chord. I'm listening to all this music. What key does he like? Oh, he likes that. F sharp, F, diff, different things. Okay. Let me hear in my head, create these series of chords in my head. I'm in the shower, going through the chords for sweeter, drying off, going to the Fender Rose, playing and playing all my ideas, putting them on my phone. So if I get there and anything fucked up could happen on the way to the studio, so I record so I could go back and let me hear my, and I might not feel the same way about that artist once I get in the car and I get to the studio. So let me capture the moment where I felt this way about him and put it in my phone. So I listen to it and then I create it. If I'm working with Kendrick, Kendrick is different. 
before I worked with Kendrick, I watched a gang of movies. I watched it. I wouldn't even watch just to get unfamiliar. Just to get familiar. I watch shit I don't normally look at to get familiar with being unfamiliar. Yeah. I, listen to music, I, I listen to shit I probably hate to get familiar with unfamiliar and to like things I hate. I also do things like I do, I listen to different shit before I go to Kendrick's session. I may listen to Led Zeppelin because when I walk in with him, I have to expect the unexpected. So it's a different type of prep going on. But they're never like, I'm going to let it just fall down right here. Like whoever says that, I bet you they're not taking you out to good restaurants to eat. Yeah, the prep, the prep is important too, because it's like you, so your instincts are more powerful when you have preparation behind them. It sounds like you're, man, that's just a lot of hours though. That's a lot to be prepared to meet up with someone who you don't even know yet if once you're in the room with them, the vibe's going to happen as it obviously it did kick off with Leon because then you did other stuff together, right? So sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't, and they may not call me back for a while. I- I've been through these, too. When you think people think, like, you know what? We need Terrace in here. Like, they're having a problem with a song or a record or whatever. You know, who knows Terrace? Can somebody get him in here on this? Like, what do you think they, what is your special sauce you think that people are looking for when they invite you into that kind of a scenario? Fill in the blanks. Either I can make the main course, or I can just add paprika to your shit. Anything in between there, I'm capable of doing because I'm putting all the work and I, I've trained myself and been trained by Snoop, Dr. Dre, Herbie, Quincy, Teddy Riley. I've, I've, I've been trained by the best in the world to fill in the blanks or whatever. We can start the idea, the whole concept of the album. I can come in the middle of the album. I can sit down with a drum machine. I can do the beat. Or I can go find the right beat for you and figure, and get the right concept. But my, my job in life is to fill in the blanks. I don't got to do it all. I don't even want to do it all because I want to leave soon and get out and shit. So I don't want to do it all anyway. You know what I'm saying? I, I want to hang out with my kids. I love remote control cars. You know, I, I like other shit. So I, I want to just do what I got to do, make sure everybody happy and get the fuck out of there. You know what I'm saying? So I think my specialty is filling in the blanks, you know, and whatever that could be. But when I go to these things, I realize it's not my session. It's who called me. Going back to me DJing. So when I'm in the studio with Travis Scott, if they hopping around dancing, it takes me back. I remember when uh, a prime example of filling the blanks, Kendrick wrote a record on Took a Butterfly called We Gonna Be All Right. And Pharrell sent the beat over. And it was the drums and the sample Pharrell. And then I was just there chilling. And Kendrick said, man, do you hear something on this? I said, nah, it's already crazy. And he was like, you got your horn? I said, yeah. He was like, play some shit on this. I said, okay, I play some shit. And the first take I played, it was kind of smooth jazzy because I was under the assumption he may want that. If we try to make a hit record, let me not be all jazzy out in a sense. And then I played this take and he was like, nah, fuck that. Play that shit that when we go to New York, I go hang out and watch you play. And then we did the other take, but that I was just in there chilling that particular day. I mean, I was working on, I don't know, probably King Coon to the next room or some other records, but I was just chilling that day. Same thing with this record, Damn. I only did one song on Damn, Loyalty. You know, one song, he was done with the whole record. I called him the last day. Hey, what's up, bro? I just found this little sample. I'm doing this beat, man. This shit sounds crazy. And, and he heard it. He said, come by right now. And we did loyalty. So it's like, you just never know. And that is where the conversation about ended, because unfortunately, after having had some connection issues earlier in the interview, uh, Terrace lost reception, and I couldn't get him back in the Zoom to say a proper thanks and goodbye. But yes, thank you so much, Terrace Martin. I love that conversation. 
And as I was mentioning earlier, I'm told there's going to be a deluxe edition of Drones, so I'm sure Terrace will keep you posted on that via his socials. And I'll keep you posted on all things LSQ in the coming episodes. Thank you so much for listening. I do have upcoming episodes with Julia Cumming from Sunflower Bean and with the great Johnny Marr. And if you follow me at JennyLSQ on Twitter, you can get updates that way as well. I'll talk to you soon. 